This is the Canadian Tax Podcast, episode number five, hosted by me, Cameron Ware. Good morning. Happy Monday. It is the week of March 29th, 2021. We'll start with the news. Um, just actually breaking this morning the story that has held the Canadian tax preparation community held their attention for uh, it just just absolutely riveting. People have been paying attention to this since last week. Um, good news, the ship stuck in the Suez Canal, the Ever Given, has been freed this morning. So global trade can go back to quote-unquote normal, let's say. Um, I think it's going to take a while to unwind this mess. But anyway, no, on a more, uh, a more serious note, uh, the news for this week, uh, item number one, CoinSquare information release. If you don't know CoinSquare, they are one of those uh, cryptocurrency outfits, Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, those types of deals. Federal judge ordered CoinSquare to hand over records. They're basically their client info for any accounts that held over $20,000. And this actually goes back to January of 2013. So any individual holding currency with uh with the well or rather over twenty thousand dollars in account uh, going back to 2013 with CoinSquare. uh they're having their their information handed over to cra this is under the uh, tool cra calls the uh, unnamed persons requirement uh, on cra's site uh, this quote enables the cra to obtain information from an individual or company about third parties after CRA gets this information, it can verify if the unnamed person correctly reported income and sales tax, blah, blah, blah. How this actually works in, uh, in real speak, basically CRA will ask for records and they'll go to an outfit and say, hey, give me those records. CRA then goes through those records and looks for names. Then CRA cross-checks the names and the tax filings of said names and sees if those people have reported the same things that appear to be reported over in this case, in this case, over at CoinSquare. Uh, so it, I don't want to call it a fishing expedition. It's more of a um, comparing notes, seeing what party A uh, and their paperwork says, and then following through and seeing if party B that was named in that paperwork also filed the same, the same things. Uh, moving on, uh, carbon tax, just very quickly, the Supreme Court of Canada uh, ruled in favor of the feds pushing their uh, their carbon tax. Uh, this, of course, probably will make Alberta and the West unhappy. But then again, when has a an Alberta government ever been happy with the decision out of Ottawa? So I'll leave it at that. Um, big news, actual big news, uh, budget announced, which is just interesting timing because it was just a few weeks ago I was saying yeah the the feds were not going to publish a budget and they said not absolutely not in April either instead we now have um, Mr. Freeland saying they are going to do a budget and it's released April 19th so about three weeks away at this point Christian Freeland during question period quoted as saying Canada entered this global pandemic in a strong fiscal position, which allows our government to provide unprecedented support to Canadians. We will continue to do whatever it takes to support Canadians and Canadian businesses, and we have a plan for jobs and robust growth. I hope so. Uh, our last, uh, well, our last budget was delivered in what, 20, 2019, 
It's our last formal formal budget. At that time, the deficit was about 19.7 billion. Uh, at the end of 2020, I think it was fall of 2020, the deficit currently stands at about 381 billion. So not only did we uh, 10 times that, we almost I don't know, let's say tripled it. So uh, it should be interesting to see what. Uh, what they're going to release. I've got some notes here, some comments where possibly we'll see an extension of various COVID relief programs. Uh, as far as, um, you know, big, big tax items, we're talking about uh, international digital tax, quote unquote, the Netflix tax. Comments here on likely some something to do with the, uh, the anti-avoidance rules uh, with the feds wanting to address, I'm just looking at my notes here, uh, address sophisticated and aggressive tax planning. The, um, sidebar, that's nothing new. The The feds and CRA, they always talk about sophisticated and aggressive tax planning. Yeah, okay. It just, it's one of those talking points that uh, looks good. Uh, they never give any actual context or substance to those comments. Moving on. Uh, support for small and medium enterprises. Possibly tax incentives to attract investment. Again, that's another one that they always seem to throw. Oh, we're going to incentivize small business and do great things. And then they never actually do anything practical for that. In terms of personal taxes, um, possibly make uh, disability tax credit more accessible. I think that that needs to happen, uh, especially in areas of uh, mental health. Physical disability, CRA seems to be pretty good about uh, allowing uh, those uh, applications go through. Uh, in terms of mental health and issues with that, CRA is way behind the times. They need to get a lot better with uh, with that. Uh, There's comments here about maybe increasing the child tax benefit or Canada child benefit. Uh, luxury tax, possibly, on uh, luxury goods over 100K. Yeah, again, I've heard that one before. We'll see. Um, comments about possibly reforming the uh, scientific, re re scientific research and experimental development program, otherwise, other, uh, otherwise known as the SHRED program. Again, they always talk about messing with that too. They never seem to get around with, to it. One thing that I would add, if you want to improve that program, stop auditing everyone that applies for it. I would say simplify it and stop auditing everyone that applies for it because you're driving away people from using it. Uh, pretty much everyone I know that has applied gets audited. So fix that. Uh, everything else here, I don't know, it's mostly fluff in my opinion. Again, not a lot of substance, but we'll see. And on top of that, it's just mostly speculation because at this point, the feds haven't talked about anything that they're actually going to say. So we'll wait until uh, April 19th for that. Uh, Ontario budget. Speaking of budgets, March 24th, last week, Ontario released their budget. Uh, they are currently running a $33 billion deficit. And <laughs> I was going to say great news. They are on track to balance their budget in 2029-2030. Uh, so that's about 10 years from now, nine years from now. Um, yeah, we'll see, especially with the way the governments in, in, uh, in Canada flip-flop and change. I mean, a 10-year... I don't know, 10-year goals, I'd say focus on three-year goals and go from there. So that wraps up headlines for this week. Uh, questions, I'm just pulling up my notes here. We have a question from a newly self-employed individual who asks, how do you get educated on the best way to manage expenses and deductions? 
I know there are certain things that sole proprietors can do to optimize their taxes, but I don't even know where to start. Uh, is there a way to pre-calculate the impact certain decisions will have on your tax filings? Uh, that would really help me make certain decisions. So actually this one's pretty simple. Yeah, there, you, there are a bunch of ways that you can uh, calculate how to figure out what certain, you know, decisions, deductions, whatever. Easiest, simplest is just use a tax calculator. Go online, Google it. Um, I'm not going to recommend anything by Intuit because Intuit is Intuit. Um, tax Cycle does some pretty good things. Uh, Wealth Simple has one. Tax Tips as well. But basically just Google um, uh, 2020 tax calculator, 2021 tax calculator, and plug and play numbers. Just see, hey, if you do this, if you do that, um, if you have this in medical expenses, that kind of thing. Um, secondly, you can actually buy some tax software and just plug and play your numbers into that. It costs a little bit extra, but it's going to give you better, uh, better numbers. My little pro tip here, you can use Excel. Go and model it in Excel. Once you know the various, um, you have to, I don't want to say reverse engineer because all the information's out there, but you just need to do a little bit of math and uh, you can plug and play numbers right into Excel. And nice thing about that is you can model uh, various decisions side by side, which leads me to my final point. Yeah, if you really want to get serious about this, have your accountant do it. That's what I do on a, a daily basis. Um, it, I don't want to say it's plug and play numbers, but yeah, we do a lot of modeling. So I, I, for, it depends on your business. Uh, if you're a, you're a new startup, yeah, it's worth your time to do this. If you're an established business, just pay someone to do it. Your time is better spent on your business and uh, don't, what's, what's the saying? Uh, penny wise, pound foolish, focus on your business, make your clients happy, make your customers happy, improve your craft, focus on that, leave the, the tax decisions, leave the, uh, the number crunching, have other people do that. Um, that if you want to get ahead in business, focus on what you're good at, outsource the rest of it. Moving on personal use property and specifically with regards to the T1135, uh, this individual asks, as I understand it, Personal use slash vacation property does not need to be, and this overseas property, does not need to be reported on the T1135, correct? What happens when that property is sold? How many forms does it need to be reported on? So, yeah, to answer the question, that's correct. Uh, personal use or vacation property outside of Canada does not need to be reported. The T1135 form specifically requests specified foreign property that's a defined term so if you scroll down to uh, sort of the notes and we'll call it the help section on the t1135 form uh, specifically quote a personal use property as defined in section 54 of the act is not a reportable entity you don't need to do that um, to simplify things a bit, I mean, this, like usual, this isn't tax advice, but really easy uh, rule to kind of follow when it comes to T1135. Is whatever entity, asset, whatever, is your holding making you money? If it's making you money, you need to report it. If it's just sitting there costing you money, you probably don't need to report it. That's not a definitive answer, but yeah, if it's making you money, CRA probably wants you to declare it. Now, how do you report this stuff? 
if you have a personal use property down in the States, say Arizona, Palm Springs, whatever, and you sell it, that is going to show up on the Schedule 3. Uh, you're going to take your proceeds and convert it to Canadian dollars. You're also going to take your cost basis, convert that to Canadian dollars. Whatever the difference between the two is, that's your gain or loss. That's going to be reported on the Schedule 3. Now, there was a question about what about the foreign currency I get from the sale? And I'm going to use the classic tax answer here and say it depends. The uh, It's tough to get a straight answer on this for, for a few reasons, but I'll try to keep it simple. If you get, say you sell your, your U.S. Uh, property down there and you get the proceeds, they go into your U.S. bank account. You're Canadian holding a U.S. bank account, a U.S.-based bank. Um, your money sits there in U.S. dollars. You're earning interest on it in that bank account. It sits there for a long period of time. Yeah, in that case, I would say definitely declare your proceeds. It's, I mean, right on the form, on the T1135 form, you're supposed to declare uh, foreign currency or money held in foreign bank accounts. I think that would meet the criteria. Where it gets a little fuzzy is if the money uh, goes to your lawyer in trust, which typically is what happens. Now, is that money held by a foreign bank account owned by you? I don't know. There's the concept of beneficial ownership, things like that. Uh, let's say that for two seconds, the money sits in that account and then is cleared over to a Canadian bank denominated in U.S. currency, let's say. Uh, that's totally different. That's not a foreign bank account. You're holding a Canadian bank account with U.S. currency in it. As for the step where it sits in the lawyer's trust fund uh, or trust account, depends on if it's a Canadian lawyer, depends on if it's a U.S. lawyer and that kind of thing. Um, but just to take a step back, big picture wise, the thing about the T1135 is it's a disclosure form. It's not a income form, if you will, like say your T-slips or something like that. It's strictly a disclosure form. It doesn't report any income in terms of affecting your income tax calculations. So the point here is if you're unsure, file the T1135 anyway. It doesn't hurt anything. You can't get in trouble for disclosing that form even when you possibly were not supposed to. Uh, it doesn't hurt anything to say, hey, CRA, I'm covering my butt here. Here's, uh, here's what I own. Here's the balances and move on. It's, it's not going to hurt you. It's not a bad thing to do. The penalties for not filing this thing are pretty substantial. So if you're concerned about, say, the foreign currency issue uh, from the sale of a personal use property outside of Canada, yeah, go ahead and disclose it. It's not going to hurt anything. Uh, lastly here, got a question about a sale, uh, uh, sale of land in a corporation. Uh, individual rights. My number corporation holds a parcel of land that I will be selling for $550,000 uh, for a $550,000 capital gain. The land was purchased with my personal money and the land was registered in the numbered company's or in the numbered corp's name. Deal closes this year. Uh, what is the most tax efficient way to get money into my personal bank account? So you're working with two uh, two levels of tax here. You've got corporate tax and you've got personal tax. So in the corporation, the uh, land is going to be sold. You're going to trigger a five hundred and fifty thousand dollars capital gain, according to the, the facts of uh, of or, or the the details that 
the listeners provided. So of that, only 50% of the gain is taxable. So you're looking at 275000 that sits in a, uh, a holding account, if you will, a special account that's called your capital dividend account. Uh, and the other 275 is included in your corporate income for that year. And it is taxed at the investment tax rates, which are, for lack of a better term, they're high. You're going to pay a temporary withholding or a temporary parking tax on that, if you will, called a refundable tax. Uh, I, again, this is pretty general. You can Google all this stuff. But the point is, uh, way back when CRA decided they don't like Canadians earning uh, special tax rates on investment income in a corporation. They want it so that you don't, uh, you're not any better off uh, earning that income in a corporation versus earning that uh, personally. And to wield an even bigger stick, they say, well, if you're just going to sit on that money in a corporation, we're going to tax it at a high rate just because, and if and when you flow that income through to the shareholder personally, you can recover some of that tax. So that's why I refer to the refundable tax regime as sort of a a parking tax. It's a temporary tax on investment income that hasn't yet been paid out uh, to the shareholders via dividend. Um, so with that in mind, what is going to happen at the corporate level? Just to rehash, 275 is going to just sit there. You're not going to pay any tax on that. The other 275 of gain, you're going to pay high rate corporate tax uh, with an asterisk beside it. You've got some parking tax on that, which once you pay out a dividend to the shareholders personally, you get some of that refundable tax back. So moving on, what'll happen is, let's say you pay out the full 275000 in uh, taxable gains to the shareholder. Uh, shareholder is going to show a $275,000 dividend and is going to pay personal tax on that. Now it's going to show, or um, rather the shareholder, on his or her personal tax return will have a dividend tax credit giving the shareholder credit for any corporate tax that was paid to avoid double tax which always comes up in canadian discussions because our brothers to the south in the united states of america greatest country in the world blah 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 uh they haven't figured out how to solve the double tax issue so every publication out there that talks about uh, corporate tax uh, any googling that you do it always comes up oh double tax double tax canada solved that problem a long time ago it's called the dividend tax credit so you do get credit for any corporate tax that was paid on that amount the balance is uh paid by the the individual shareholder i always like to say canada wants to pay between 30 and 40 percent tax in total whether it's blend of corporate, personal, exclusively corporate, exclusively personal, somewhere in between 30, 40%, whatever. That seems to be the magic number. So if a corporation pays 10% tax, Canadian government wants the individual to come up with the remaining 20%. That's a very, very simplified rule of this or um, explanation of the system, but that's roughly a, an easy way to get your head around it. So the point is 275,000 in dividends is going to be paid out to the shareholder. Now, having said that, this listener specifically said the land was purchased with my personal money and registered in the corporation. So what that says to me is at the beginning, the individual put up some personal money to buy the land, which means there's probably a shareholder loan balance. So to back up a bit, we said that there's going to be a $275,000 dividend. Uh, again, assuming that the, the shareholder wants to pay all of that money out of the corporation, doesn't have to, 
you can sit on it there, but assuming it wants to flow it all, all through just for this example's sake, uh, what'll happen is that 275K can be reduced by whatever the amount that was put into the shareholder loan at the beginning, or rather what the, the I guess, land was, was purchased for using personal funds. So let's say in this case, the land was purchased for $100,000. You're gonna have the 275 uh, dividend you can reduce that by the 100,000 that's owed to the shareholder. So 100,000 of that's going to be a personal tax-free reimbursement. The remaining 175 will be the taxable portion. So that's how that will be dealt with. Then separately, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, that's only 275,000 of my 550,000. That's right. What happens in the corporation side is there is a special account that your accountant will keep track of. Uh, both usually on the on the corporate books, but also via the tax returns as well. And what it is, it's it's the non-taxable proceeds of the gain on sale is what it is. So that two hundred seventy-five thousand sits in this holding account that can be paid out at any time, tax-free, and is received tax-free by the shareholder. What's interesting is there's no T slips, there's nothing issued like that. It's it's completely off the books. Now, having said that, there is paperwork that needs to be filed though. Uh, specifically your T2054 CDA election uh, paperwork, I've got it linked in the notes here. Uh, that needs to be filled out along with some other stuff like corporate resolutions, things like that. It needs to be mailed out to CRA, yes, no joke. It needs to be mailed. It goes out to Prince Edward Island and they get it there and it probably takes them about a year to review this stuff. The things that you need to pay attention to are uh, specifically the declaration date and the payment date. Always make sure that the declaration date is done first and then wait a while to have the payment date. You, you as a shareholder or if you're an accountant doing this, you're going to get your client in serious trouble if the client has already sort of proactively pulled that money out. That is a big no-no. CRA will get very, very, very upset if you do that. Don't do that. File this paperwork first. Wait a while. Make sure that CRA has it. Then go ahead and take that money out. Do not be in a rush to uh, have this or, or to pull those the funds out. There's it's a big, big problem. The CRA gets really, really grumpy if you do that. So just to summarize here. The 275000 sitting in the CDA account, that will come out to the shareholder tax-free. You just need to file some special paperwork first. Next part is how to get the taxable portion out of the corporation. And that is going to be a $275,000 dividend to the shareholder reduced, or I'll put an asterisk beside that and say it's going to be reduced by whatever the balance of the shareholder loan account is. Now, pro tip, if you're really smart, you're going to not pull this all out in one lump. You're going to take your time, maybe draw it out over three years. Keep yourself out of those uh, those high tax brackets if you can. And with that, we will wrap things up for today. Like always, if you have any questions, send them to questions at canadiantaxpodcast.ca or find us over on Twitter. This is Canadian Tax Podcast. Thanks for listening. This commentary is for general informational purposes only and deals with complicated and time-sensitive info that may not apply to your situation. Tax rules are always changing and this information may not be current. Tax is complicated. This information is not tax advice. Don't rely on this info to make tax decisions. Hire a professional to help you. For more info, see canadiantaxpodcast.ca slash disclaimer.